0: Today, we are going to be continuing our series called Multiply, and we are looking at the stories of multiplication in the scriptures as Jesus has presented them to us, the way that he's teaching us and showing us how we can take these very practical principles, put them in place in our own lives to experience also the multiplication that we so desire. Now, one of the things we want is a blessed life, but when we don't understand the principles in receiving that blessed life and experiencing that blessed life, it's going to be a challenge for all of us to be able to live that. And so what the scriptures do and what Jesus does is that he doesn't want to leave us in the dark regarding these things. He teaches these things to us, like we are his friends and he wants us to be friends he wants us to be in a friendship relationship with him and he wants to be able to reveal those secrets and those principles that will bring about multiplication in our lives and so the disciples had this incredible relationship with Jesus and being able to be with him and speak to him and then hear from him. And that's the kind of relationship that we are still attaining and wanting to have in our own lives. And so don't feel like that is far removed from the reality and the possibility of what you can experience because that's God's heart. That's his intention. And that's what Jesus wants for each of us. And so today we're going to look at the third parable in the things that were lost that Jesus wanted us to understand could once again be found. And today we're going to look in Luke chapter 15 and read from verse 11 to then all the way through to verse 32. And so this passage that we're about to look at is um, an important one because it reveals not just the heart of the Father but it's Jesus' response to the religious leaders. And when they were making accusations towards him about why he was spending this time with notorious sinners as they were seen and understood to be, Jesus wanted them to understand these things. And so in the scriptures, and it's very important that you understand this principle, is that Jesus, when he wanted to emphasize something, he would say it three times. And so the reason there are three parables is because he wants the same subject to become deeply ingrained in our understanding of what multiplication looks like when things are lost. And so there's going to be a progression that is going to be seen in the story that is also a deep reflection of how Jesus knows that this is going to be difficult, not only for the religious leaders to understand this, but for us to be able to understand it, for us to be able to accept this, to believe it, to somehow accept that this is the truth by which we can live by. So for Jesus to repeat this three times, he knows how difficult it's going to be for us to believe in this multiplication principle. Because all of us have experienced loss. And it's difficult to believe that those things which are lost can be found again through the blessing of the multiplication that Jesus is promising. And so for him to say it once, through the sheep, Twice through the lost coin, now he's talking to us the third time, but he's doing it through the lost son. Okay, that was a long introduction, I apologize, but I felt like I needed to just make that really clear and as clear as I could possibly make it because I didn't want you to miss what comes next. So now we can read. Okay, verse 11, thank you. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story of a man who had two sons. And the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time that his money ran out, a great famine also swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no no one gave him anything to eat. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And he was filled with love and compassion. And he, ran to his son. he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and then sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and then begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found." Now, in the story that we have just read is a story that is probably incredibly well known to each of us. But the word prodigal itself is not a word that we sometimes use quite commonly in our own English language. Yet the word prodigal means being wasteful in a very extravagant manner. And so when we talk about this son and what he did, it means that he really squandered everything that God had given him. And I think that we've all, I think, regretted some things in our life. We've all regretted decisions. We've seen sometimes how we could have received an investment in our, in our, in our possession, given money, given time and talent, and, and somehow not lived up to the potential with which we knew we had at that time. And with regret, we look upon those moments and we wonder what our life could have been like had we not lived a certain way. And that's what this story is really about. It's about living with that regret and and, and understanding that as we live with that regret, what a challenge it is for each of us to somehow understand that God has something more to speak to us about than just the regret that we may be feeling and experiencing in our life right now. Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, spoke these three parables because he wanted to emphasize his response. And his response is one that they were shocked by. It's the response that there is nothing that is lost that cannot be found again. And in their minds, when something was lost, it was lost. If you were outside of God's favor, then you were outside of his favor. If if you turned your back on God, then there was no way to come back to God. If you were put outside of the walls of the city, there was no way that you could ever use any of the doors to come back in. So whatever you did, that was your fate, and it was sealed forever. There was nothing that could be done for someone like the people that Jesus was spending time with. And what Jesus wanted them to understand was that wasn't true. That wasn't the case. It wasn't what was actually happening in God's eyes. And it certainly wasn't going to be reflected in Jesus's life. And so Jesus went where God's heart was obviously always at. And so the heavenly father in the story is the father who when the son comes to him and demands his inheritance he says if that's what you want then that's what I will give you and that teaches us that our decisions are ours that that God allows us to make our decisions, to make our choices, to go in the direction that we want to go in, to do the things that we desire to do. And he's not going to hold us back from doing it. And that's crazy to me because I would imagine that this story should have had a part in it where the father does everything in his power to persuade the son to stay home where he he could have made that clear at any point in the parable. At any point, he could have said, and I did my best to teach and to show and to reveal to my son what would happen. Had he just listened to me, then this would not have happened. But it never happens in the story. Because what we need to understand is that God gives us and he gives it freely. And there are no strings attached. What he entrusts us with is what we have been given and it's up to us to do something with that. And so what God does is that he shows us in the story what it looks like when this happens. Now something to understand because we are talking about multiplication is that there is a mathematical progression in the story. And we see that there is a lost fraction, one sheep out of 99. And then it increases from one hundredth to 110. So there's one coin out of 10. And then to one half of the whole, there is one son out of two. And what what Jesus does is, is intentional here. He's showing that we can go to something that has very little value. It has value, but in comparison to the 99, it has the least value. And then that value increases when it goes to the one coin out of 10. And then it increases even more when it's one son out of two. And so what God wants us to understand is that even in the story, there's a progression. And he wants the Pharisees and the religious leaders and and the audience to understand that this is how God wants us to see it. That this progression isn't that there are things that have little value and more value, but that when you're emphasizing a point, you go from the smallest value to the highest value, but you're teaching the same thing and what Jesus is teaching is that there is this value of each loss that rises from a sheep to a coin to a son so you get to the point where you realize that all of a sudden of course the son you don't want to lose a son if you lose a sheep out of one out of 99 well you deal with the loss if you lose one coin out of 10 well you at least you still have nine but if you lose one son out of two that is an irreplaceable loss and yet god reveals the celebration in each but he highlights how in the story the son recklessly and wastefully spends his inheritance. And in my mind when you waste an inheritance the idea is that you cannot get that inheritance back. The idea being that if I've received it already and I've lost it and I've squandered it by my bad choices and by my evil living, then I cannot have that restored. And yet, in the story, that is not what Jesus is communicating. It's an assumption that we're making, which is why he goes about making it clear that this son gets back his position in the family. He wanted to come back and be a servant, but God shows us that he doesn't just want a servant again, he wants a son. And that son had an inheritance, he had a position, he had a role in the family, and that's why he gives him the robe, that's why he puts a thing on his finger, he puts a ring, and that's why he restores unto him the honor of once again being found. The brother of course is upset by this and and the brother is a reflection of the Jewish nation and, and the trouble that they saw in all of this. They didn't like that God was out there restoring, that he was giving back people's inheritance and positions. They didn't want to see that. They wanted to continue to believe that when one was lost he could never be found again. And so these people who found themselves lost just gathered with other lost people. And they just sat and they ate together. And they laughed at the fact that they were lost. And they would rejoice in the fact that they were lost. They would have parties about the fact that they were lost. They were saying to each other that, well, everyone else in the nation is found, we're the lost ones. And they wore it like a badge of honor. And what Jesus went to show them was that being lost is not an honor. It's not where you need to live. It's not where you need to stay. And while it feels like you are making money and living your best life and partying and you have friends at your table and you're participating and partaking in all that this friendship may have to offer, I want you to know that even in this setting, you are still lost, but I'm here to help you be found. I look at how God came to rescue all of us in the areas of our life where we thought we were okay, where we believed we didn't need him, where we somehow convinced ourselves that we could continue to be lost. But Jesus didn't let that happen. He made sure that he came after us so that we would understand the difference between being lost the way that the religious system sees us and lost the way that God sees us instead. And the way that God sees us when we're lost is that we can always be found, that we can always be rescued. But there's something important in this story that we sometimes lose sight of, and that is what happens when the sun is squandering. Jesus is teaching us that God the Father's love for each of us is incredibly astounding. And that was the point that Jesus was trying to make and make really clear. He wanted everybody to feel the the astonishment of this love. This love that he had, because in the following verse that I want to put up on the screen, it says that, Father, I have sinned against heaven And in those days, they didn't like to say the word God. It was too holy to even pronounce with their own lips. So they used to say heaven. So the word heaven here is actually the word God. But because he's so broken and feels so lost and far from God, and he feels so unclean and unworthy, he won't even say the word. And so he replaces it with heaven. And then he says, in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So what happens in this story? What happens is repentance. And and I think that many of us want multiplication without repentance. We want the blessing without having to say to God that we need to admit where it is that we have failed him. Now there were times early on in my spiritual journey where I knew the things that I needed to confess, that I needed to bring to God. God had found me where I was lost, and he helped me to be found in his presence again. And, And in that time, I remember being so clear about what I needed to profess, what I needed to confess, what I needed to repent of. And as I did that, I could sense burdens being lifted from me. And then there were times during this period of my early repentance that God was speaking to me in dreams about things that I had forgotten or he was bringing to remembrance while I was working or talking to people or situations that were really in the moment not about the moment that had happened, but God somehow brought it together to show me something that I had forgotten about that I needed to repent of. The Holy Spirit was bringing things to to memory and and he wasn't doing it to judge me or to condemn me, but because he knew there were still lessons that I needed to learn. And the only way that I could learn them and understand them is that if, if he showed me the attitude of my heart at that time, if he revealed to me what I was thinking and doing and why, the motivation behind those actions, just so that I would never go back to such a place. And and what I've learned is that God still does that no matter how far from the moment was that we first were found. That, That there are still things that God wants to bring to our attention and to our remembrance. And so there were certain things that this young man was able to pronounce, say out loud, tell others about. He was able to tell his father when he came back what he realized. But the realization didn't come on the road back, it came when he was in the pig pen. It it, it came when he wasn't able to have any food to eat, when he saw that the pigs were eating better than him. In that moment, he made his first realizations and it brought him to the first steps of repentance. And I want you to see that there's something beautiful about this because even though he probably didn't realize everything, he realized enough to bring him back to his senses and enough to bring him back to the Father for God to be able to restore him, bless him, and then bring about multiplication in his life. Can we say amen to that? Like, just think about that. He didn't realize everything, but he realized enough. And that's true for us. So the realizations we've made, sometimes we think that those are enough to now experience multiplication. But you cannot reap what you do not sow. There is no way that you can experience multiplication if you do not sow the seeds of repentance first. And so there are things that are blocking my multiplication from happening because there are areas of my life that I have not repented of yet. There are things that I have not confessed, things that I have not realized, things that I have not had a breakthrough in. And so what we should be doing is should be asking God, God, reveal to me that which is hidden. Show me that which I do not see. Show me that which I still need to confess, that which I still need to repent of. Reveal that which is hidden from me so that I can once again experience your multiplication. Now, when we do that, then God is going to be able to bring about a multiplication. But you cannot experience multiplication unless you repent first. And then the Father can then restore you. Because God's desire is for us to repent, be reconciled to him, be restored, and then we can multiply. And so what the story does is that it re- reveals the steps So if you want multiplication, well, you've got to start with repentance. Then you've got to be reconciled. You have to be restored. And in that restoration, now you can experience multiplication. The blessing that you're looking for begins first with repentance. Not a popular word, right? It's not something we want to do. We want multiplication. We want blessing. But we don't want to have to go through all these steps. But here's the beautiful thing about it. The realizations that we make always lead to a greater blessing than could ever have been imagined. When the son returns to the father, he is so appreciative that the father is there, welcome him back. Because what we see in the story is that every day, even though he didn't know it, the father is eagerly watching and waiting for his son's return on the road. Every day the father would go out, and every day he would look for him. The son didn't think that was happening. When he found himself in that pig pen, and, and he thought, you know, my serv- the servants in my father's house live better than me. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant. He never would have imagined that his father would be waiting for him on the road. But that's the love of God. That's how much God loves us. He's every day waiting for us. And every day he wants for the repentance to lead to the reconciliation, to the restoration, and then to the multiplication. God's intention is to always to lead us to multiplication. That's his heart. But he knows that can't happen unless we are first reconciled and restored. So when you think about your relationship with God, you have to think about the things that are standing in the way of that. The things that have been holding you back from that. The things that God wants to remove so that you can live that out. That's why in verse 20, it says this, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and then he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. The Bible reminds us that that's the actions of a father that it doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter what you've done what's important is that you've come back but here's the important part the son had to come back to the father that's the repentance you see I want God to bless me without ever having to repent but you see Jesus is always a representation of how he's on the road like how how he's always able to receive us the way we are and and when we're on that road coming back to him what happens is that the father in the story runs to the son he runs to the son the son doesn't have to run to the father it's the father who takes off running towards the son can we say amen to that that's how much God loves us I, I need you to picture God running to you. Wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, I want you to picture not just God waiting for you on the road, but for the way that he is able to run to you. That's how much he loves you. I had a hard time accepting that, I had a hard time believing that, I had a hard time trusting that that could be true for me. But the moment I began to believe that is the moment I also began to understand multiplication. When you understand your position robed, ringed, and once again restored as a son, then you know that you can never be anything other than what you were always brought in this world to be, and that is a son and a daughter of the king. And when you understand that, then you understand your value, your worth, and your position. Because an inheritance in this story is restored, a feast is planned, and there is rejoicing when that which is lost is finally found. I want to imagine a moment in your life where God is bringing about incredible blessing and restoration and reconciliation because the inheritance that we may have squandered has been brought back to us. We don't want to be the other son in the story at any point. The other son in the story is is a reflection of what you're not supposed to be like. It's not an indication of of what we're supposed to strive for. In fact, God is trying to show us that the other son in the story is someone who believes they never do anything wrong. But look at how when the party starts, and this is important, the son isn't even in the house. When the feast began the other son was still out in the field he was so far removed from what was happening that when he finally shows up we understand why he was so far removed because his attitude is so bad it's so wrong in every imaginable way but God sees the good even in that attitude he sees even in that wrong attitude the things that the son did do that were right. And he highlights those things and he begs him, come in and celebrate, even though the other son won't do it. He still tries to get him to join the party because he wants him to understand that things that are lost can be found, but when they're found, they need to be celebrated. And if we don't understand that God celebrates over us and and, and the changes that come about in our lives, that every time we step out in a way that maybe brings about a loss, that he is able to still bring us back through the repentance that we talked about, through the restoration that he wants to make happen in our lives so that we can then experience the multiplication where is it that you feel that God can't reach you where is it that you feel that God cannot bring that which is lost and make it found where is it that you're convinced that God can't celebrate over you That there can't be this kind of feast and feasting For your life Where is it that you believe That you don't deserve This Because we just heard From Jesus himself Telling us that we all Do And so even If you Don't believe it Even if you Can't see it Even if there's someone in your life telling you, other than you, that you don't deserve it, this story is for you. God wants to bring about multiplication in your life today. But it's going to come through the road of repentance. We're going to get reconciled. We're going to get restored. And we're going to begin to see the blessings of God like, like never before. Are you ready for that in your life? Are you ready to take those steps? And so I'm going to ask that you would just stand and as you would do that, I want you to think of something that that you know right now you need to repent of. Something that you just need to ask God sorry for. And, And as you would do that, I want you to know that immediately God is going to reconcile you to himself. Through the person of Jesus, it's going to happen instantaneously. At the moment that you say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent. That in that moment, you are reconciled once again through Jesus Christ back to the Father. In that moment, you are restored. So I want you to imagine yourself now in that restoration. And I want you to see yourself in that place where he is putting a robe on your shoulders, he's putting a ring of authority on your finger, that he's telling you your inheritance has been restored, where he's calling you a son and a daughter again, that you are once again ready to experience multiplication. And so, Father, as we come before you, and as you have made these things incredibly vivid and real for each of us. For the way that you have given us a visual understanding of the story of that which was lost and how it is now found. For how it speaks to each of us in our own individual journeys. And we think of maybe relationships that were lost and health that may have been lost. A family that was lost, maybe even a son or a daughter or who knows what else tragically and traumatically has happened in our lives. That whatever it is that we've been through, whatever it is that we've gone through, that we can't picture or imagine that we could possibly be blessed again, Lord, in this moment we know that that is not true. Your word is spoken clearly about what it is that you are able to do. And so in this moment, Father, if there's anything that we're doing to prohibit your multiplication, then we want to confess that right now. We want to ask that you would forgive us, that you would set us free from this, that you would not allow any of this to hold us back from what you have in store for us. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for each of us today. And for what you're about to do in terms of the multiplication that we are anticipating and expecting to experience in our lives. Lord, you're about to do something incredible for each of us. And there is a celebration both in heaven and on earth right now for how you are telling us and all those around us that which was lost is now found. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.